This morning we are going to be on the very last Sunday of our new series, and I pray that you've had a great time, that you've enjoyed it. I pray that it's spoken to you, it's ministered to you in a good way, and that uh, in some ways as we start 2024, it will renew your faith and give you a renewed focus on Christ as we look at all that God is doing in our lives, through our lives, and in the life of Trinity Church. We've kicked off with a renewed commitment, and we've kind of launched from that, and we've built upon that over three weeks, and today we're going to be culminating with renewed worship. That would be the title of our sermon today. A key scripture that we've worked with is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've read that several times. I'll read it again today. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. There's that concept there. Paul is writing. Paul saying to us, all things are new. Not add-ons, addendums. It's new, brand new. Everything old has passed away. And as we've been talking about this the last four weeks, we've spoken about a new creation. And that means is that everything has to change. There's a new commitment. New commitments mean that there are new priorities, a new way of thinking. Everything shifts inside of us. And today we'll talk about how that leads to a place of renewed or restored understanding of worship. Let us go to Romans chapter 12. If uh, you have not memorized it by now, you probably would have learnt it and will know exactly where it is for the rest of your life because I've read it every Sunday and we'll read it again today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And this is the word of God for the people of God. God. Note how Paul writes there, he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is about worship. Most, if not everything that we've been talking about and everything we do is about worship. But do we truly understand what worship is? What is worship? Do we understand the concept of worship? Is worship what we do on Sunday? When we come on a Sunday morning, does it start at 10 o'clock and it ends at 11 o'clock? Is that what we call worship? Is every part of what we do worship? Is, Is everything we do here worship? Is this where it ends? Is this where it starts? What happens when we get up tomorrow morning? Is that still worship? Is worship limited to singing? What is worship? Paul will hopefully help us in this passage as well. But in order for us to understand this and unpack the subject of worship and what it means to worship, I want us today to also go to a passage in John. John chapter 4. We'll be reading from verses 19 to verses 25. To give you a context of this passage as well, is that in verses In the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus goes, he meets a woman at a well. It's called the Samaritan woman. He talks to her. He says, he asks her for water. And then we have this discussion where John uh, has the woman and Jesus talking to each other. And they, they talk about, Jesus says, there's living water. I've got living water. You'll never thirst again. And then he says something. He says, you uh, go, go fetch your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you're correct, you've had five. And uh, the man you're with now is not your husband. 
And at this point, she's kind of like, okay, he's got my number. He knows who I am. And he pivots. She pivots the conversation. She, 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 she kind of moves the conversation to a place where she goes, well, uh, let's talk. Obviously, you are more than what you appear to be. You're not just a Jew passing through. You are a prophet. And this is where we pick it up. The woman said to him, verse 19, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks the, such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus goes on to say, I am he who speaks to you now at this place. The woman is having a discussion about actually where worship is supposed to take place. And she's saying, should it take place here on this mountain? The mountain she's referring to is Mount Gerizim. In fact, it's the mountain that the Samaritans believed that this was where the temple was, in fact, supposed to be built. And uh, so much so that they actually built a temple there, and the Jews weren't happy with it. So about 125, 128 years before Christ, they, the Jews went in and they actually destroyed that temple. And so there's this whole ongoing argument between the Samaritans and the Jews. Do we build the temple on this mountain or do, is it supposed to be built in Jerusalem? And we could ask the same question today. Are we supposed to worship on the mountain, uh, uh, Mount Gerizim, or are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? Or are we supposed to worship on Sunday morning in uh, Colony Meadows Elementary School? Are we supposed to worship in our local church? Where are we supposed to worship? The question is still relevant today. To understand worship, it helps us unpack things. Well, Jesus answers the question for the lady, and he says this. He says, neither on this mountain, and actually not even in Jerusalem. And that's interesting because we could probably say worship is not necessarily even in our local church. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a few minutes. But here's the thing, as people unpack this and commentators unpack what Jesus is saying, some of them say, well, maybe Jesus is referring to or the, gospel, the writer of John is looking at the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and saying, well, the temple is destroyed and the, and the centralized worship that took place in the temple was then pushed out into synagogues. And so maybe that is an indication of that. But there are commentators such as Grant Osborne, who says in his commentary on John, he says, no. He disagrees. He says what's actually happening here is that Jesus, and I agree with him, and I believe this is in fact where G, what the gospel writer in John is trying to get at as well. He's saying that it's better to see this as pointing to the arrival of a new kingdom. Where worship is not located in Jerusalem, not located on the mountain. Something has changed. In John chapter 4, 23, that scripture we know so well, the hour is coming is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And so here's the thing about worship. When it comes to worship in God's new kingdom, worship is less about where we worship, but it's more about 
how we worship. And that's very important for us to understand. Think about worship for a second. Consider the idea of worship. You can go to a cathedral in Europe that's thousands of years old. And the architecture is absolutely incredible and some really, really famous dead guy painted on the ceiling or something. And there could be a choir singing and an organ playing. And in that place, you could sense the presence of God and there could be worship. It can be powerful. It can be moving. It can touch you spiritually. It can touch you emotionally. And then you can be transformed or taken to maybe a tree or, or a campfire in the deep, darkest Africa in the jungle. And there around the campfire, there's two or three 10-year-old boys who have just kind of pulled a piece of, of cowhide over a piece of wood and they're beating on a drum and 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 people around a campfire are singing and it sounds absolutely nothing like the cathedral in Europe. But there also the Spirit of God can be as people are worshipping and giving their hearts and their lives to God because it's not about the where, it's about the how, which is spirit and in truth. You can take yourself to a country somewhere in the world where Christianity has been outlawed and there lonely in a cell all alone sits a Christ follower who's been persecuted for his or her faith and in the stillness not a word is being spoken, nothing is being said, but there in their heart and in their mind and in their life there is a moving of worshipping God in spirit and in truth. Because it's moved from the place of not where, but it's moved to the place of how we engage God. And Jesus says here, we need to engage in spirit and in truth. The same thing is true. If we invert that argument and that conversation, we can say in the same way, we can have songs that have the right words. We can have liturgy that is all right. It is even performed in a sacred space or a consecrated space, but that does not necessarily equate worship. You see, you can sing in a church, you can perform in a church, or you can worship in a church. And there's a really, really big difference between all of those. Now, I, I'm not saying for a minute that when God's name is proclaimed that he's not worshipped, but the worshipper or the person who is singing can be a complete atheist and just be using the words. The words themselves might glorify God, but the person doesn't. It's not about the where. But it's about the how. We're moving to the place where how we do it. Now if we go back to Romans chapter 12, which is our key scripture, we see this interesting concept where Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So think about this for a second. Present your bodies, that's kind of the physical part of your life, everything about you, as something that is going to be spiritual. And somehow the two connect together. How does spiritual worship come from the sacrifice or the presenting of our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, in the new kingdom, worship that is spirit and in truth has to be holistic. Everything about us needs to be worshiping God. Not just our mouths. Not just what we say. Not just what we sing. Everything about us. Now we know the greatest commandment. We know in Matthew chapter 22, 37 to 39, we have the greatest commandment. In Mark, this is how Mark writes the greatest commandment. 
Jesus answers when they ask him what is the greatest command. The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now we can break that down and we can dissect it and pull it apart. But here's the point. We are to love God with everything. Absolutely everything. Our entire being. Everything about us. Now, <coughs> there, is, there is, in the early church, you had all these heresies and these different, these different kind of doctrines that were flying around. And a lot of what Paul writes and, and a lot of what the writers of the New Testament are doing is they're trying to address a lot of these heresies. One of the things that you had was this thing called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which was alive and well 2,000 years ago, is still alive and well today, although we don't call it the same thing. What they tend to do is they tend to say, well, you know, the body is actually evil, and so the spirit needs to be set free, and so we are somehow trying to liberate and find salvation by liberating the spirit because the body is evil, the spirit is good. Well, here's the thing. Your body is created by God. We are not, and this is what people do. Well, you got body, mind, or body, soul, spirit, and we have these like three parts. Some people say body and soul, two parts. When we start thinking like that, we start to dissect, and we start to create schisms, and we have this really, this really I'm going to use the word grotesque way of separating humanity into different areas, which is not, God never intended that to happen. We are created by God. We're created in the image of God. We are created beautifully. We are created perfectly. We are created, we are created as one human being. You cannot separate those three. Now, you'll understand that in the world we live in today, these same philosophies, these same ideologies, the same thinking of trying to separate the body and, and create these different parts of us is still alive and well today. People say to you, well, you know, my body is not in sync with my spirit, and therefore my body and my spirit need to try and sync up. And so people mutilate their bodies to, to make sure that their spirit and their body align. That's not right. It doesn't work like that. We are one being, and I'm saying that in the context of worship because we got to understand, you can't just sit there and say, well, actually I worship God in spirit, but the body is bad. It doesn't participate. No, the body has to participate as well. And I'll explain that in a second as well. Everything about us, the mind participates, the spirit participates. But we're one person. We're called to love God with our soul, our spirit, our strength. Every single part of us has to give to God, has to worship God. Spirit and truth is not fragmented. It's not a, dis a dissection of the body. It has to be every single part of us. We sometimes see this, and this is what happens in worship, where you can sing and go through the right motions, but you're not actually engaging with God. There's no, there's, we're not stepping into that place. In, in fact, around the world today, a lot of the classical music that we have, a lot of the music that is played in, 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 in symphony halls and all around the world, a lot of that stuff was written in praise to God, but has been performed by paid musicians, many of them, some of them, that don't know Jesus, don't know God, and are essentially saying, that's my paycheck, there it is, take my paycheck, and there's the music. Now, does the music glorify God? Absolutely, that's not a problem. But it doesn't mean the person playing it is a worshiper. And so we have to create an understanding that in order for worship to take place, we have to engage spiritually with God in that moment as well. 
Kenneth Gangle writes in his commentary on John, when he speaks about worship, he quotes a guy called Marcus Dodds, and he says, where the spirit is not engaged, there is no worship at all. Worship in spirit and truth must exist beyond just our formal times of coming together, singing songs and saying the right things and going through liturgy. That is a part of it, yes, but it has to extend beyond that. It has to be a part of every single day of our lives, in every breath that we breathe, every moment of our lives, every decision that we make. Everything that we do, when, when God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, give everything, your entire being, he then goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself, because love of neighbor flows out of an honoring and, and, and the lordship of Christ, and then it flows into the way, the way we, we treat our spouse in our marriage, the way we raise our kids, the way we engage people on the... Uh, on the 59, all those things are a part of our worship. Sometimes our worship is a little lacking, but, you know, we pray and ask God for forgiveness because we want to be better people. But all of that is a part of who we are. Every part of our lives has to be worshiping, not where. It is a matter of how in spirit and in truth. John chapter, chapter 4, I find actually really interesting. It is... It's interesting that just a couple of verses later, the disciples come to Jesus. He's just spoken about, he's just spoken about worship is not here, it's not there, it's the spirit and truth. We have this really profound moment where we have to stop and think about our own lives and how we worship. And then we see this where his disciples say, well, you must be hungry, we brought you something to eat. And this is the interaction that takes place. The disciples urge him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then he says, the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. I'm, I'm not going to create a theology out of this, but isn't it amazing to think that Jesus at this very moment in the context of what we've just read is saying that my obedience to my father is of foremost importance. That's the thing that gives me life. That's the thing that keeps me alive. And he goes on to say, and he talks about evangelism actually, reaching the lost. That's what he doesn't talk about. And I wondered to myself whether we could see, I believe not only here, but in Scripture itself, but even in the Scripture in, in, in Romans 12, verses 1, if you read it, uh, 1 and 2. You, go on, you have to go on to 2 to read that. There is a link up between he has created a relationship with the Father. He's Lord. He's Master. And this is, this is something, we, we, we talk about the new kingdom. and in the, in the new kingdom, we do what the king tells us to do. But we can also look at it as, in the Father's house, we do what the Father tells us to do. Because we are children, we're sons and daughters in the Father's house. And we know that this is where we belong, and this is who we are. And so when it comes to what we do, we understand, I would... I hesitate to use this word, the authority structure that he's in charge and I'm not, and I do what he tells me to do. And so what we have here is a picture of lordship because we always will serve the idols that are in our lives. 
If greed is an idol, we'll serve that idol. Colossians 3 tells us greed is an idol. If materialism is an idol, we'll chase after it. Matthew chapter 6 says money, mammon, can be a god that we chase. And we will do what our idols tell us to do because we're always worshipping. It's just a question of who we are worshipping. Jesus gives us an example right there directly after saying that. If that relationship, that lordship is in place, then everything falls right. Then we know how to work. Years ago, probably more than 30 years ago, I was sitting in a very small little room. It was dark. I can see it in my mind. And there was about a week somebody sat and taught us on worship. I remember one thing from that week, nothing else. can't remember who taught it. Somebody said this. They said, obedience is the highest form of worship. Obedience is the highest form of worship. For Jesus to say, I do the will of him who sent me, is to say, I'm obedient to the one I follow. My worship is not only seen in my singing, in the words I speak, but in doing what he tells me to do. Living the way he tells me to live. Loving the way he tells me to love. Serving the way he tells me to serve. Let's bring things to a close. We're a new creation. Everything has changed. There's a new commitment. There's a shift in our thinking, our priorities. Everything has to move. But you know, at the end of the day, we do all that for one reason. Because He is our Lord. He's our Father. He's our God. And so in the end, everything shifts. The renewal is because we are moving to a renewed, a restored understanding of what worship is. We spoke, I think it was last week, we spoke about the idea of the church. The church is not about a building. The church is not about a place. The church is about people. We have to shift in our thinking to say, think differently about what the church is. Because the way we think about it will help us to understand how we can build it. But in the same way, we should shift in the way we think about worship. When we come on a Sunday, we should worship with all our hearts, with all our might, with all our soul, everything inside of us. But when we leave on Sundays, we don't stop worshiping. We worship in the way we love our neighbors. We worship in the way we serve our families. We worship in the way we even go to work and serve and do and act in a way that's pleasing to God with those that we work and serve in the workplace. When we come back, we come from worship into worship and we keep worshiping. We are a worshiping people. Everything we do, heart, mind, spirit, soul, everything we do worships God. Worship is not a song. It's not a service. It's not a place. Worship is an attitude of a heart that reflects a life that is fully committed to God. So we start... 2024, we have started, we weigh into it already. Let us be a church that worships in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together.